Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Alright, welcome, welcome Tokers and Tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty It is Monday, December 7th, 2015 And it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world It also has to be a day that shall live forever in infamy, the anniversary of the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii in 1941 that uh, ushered the United States into World War II. My grandfather on my mother's side fought for the United States in the Pacific Theater, so every Pearl Harbor day I tend to remember Grandpa and uh, his sacrifices to fight for freedom. And uh, speaking of freedom, the the people who do not learn from their history may be doomed to repeat it. Uh, lately, uh, Donald Trump, Republican GOP frontrunner, has made all sorts of comments about uh, Muslims and immigration. And today he has said that he wants to ban all Muslims from immigrating into the United States. Um, careful, folks. If, if, if we're not careful, we might all end up wearing Trump brand brown shirts soon. My God, can't believe this stuff, but uh, it's a marijuana show here. We're going to talk about marijuana, and uh, in the show today, we've got our regular visit with Dr. Mitch Earlywine in our Cannabis Q&A segment. That'll be coming up at half past, and you can call in live during that segment if you've got a question on cannabis science, culture, history, or health for Dr. Mitch Earlywine, acclaimed author and researcher, and the chairman of the Normal Board of Directors, also a pretty good stand-up comedian as well. But you can uh, call in at 971 971- Five three three seventy one eleven. That's our live studio line, and uh, we'll also take your calls after four o'clock Pacific time in our hour two Toker Talk Radio. So stay tuned for that. Among our topics for Doctor Mitch today, we've got that study claiming that uh, super potent marijuana may harm our brains. Another study showing that legalized medical marijuana leads to skinnier states. We've got uh, a study confirming what we know about CBD oil and childhood epilepsy. Another couple of studies that will fight uh, liver cancer and dermatomyositis. <laughs> Never heard of it. We'll have to ask Dr. Mitch what that is. That's all coming up on our cannabis Q&A at half past. Then we'll get into time for a radical rant, which today I'm taking a look at eight different state legalization initiatives. Eight different state legalization initiatives. We've got uh, the five states, California, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, and Nevada. We've got four different initiatives we're going to look at in California and one each in the other four states. We're going to compare and contrast those with the legalization that currently exists in four states and Washington, D.C. Stay tuned for that coming up in the Radical Rant. Also on the show today in Drug War Data Mining, 
We're going to take a look at felony disenfranchisement. Uh, This is where states ban felons from being able to vote and how that affects our elections and how it uh, disproportionately affects communities of color. That's coming up in Drug War Data Mining. Before that, we've got Behind the Headlines, where we're going to talk about 60 Minutes, the CBS News program, which yesterday had an amazing two-part segment on the use of college kids as criminal informants in marijuana cases. It talked about the Rachel Hoffman case, which was one of the first cases I ever covered getting into the marijuana media way back in 2008. I got to interview some of her friends who talked about missing their friend, Rachel. But before we get to all that, we've got the Cannabis Radio News in the headlines today. we got a lot of international headlines. We're going to go to Uruguay, to Chile, to Australia, America, the state of Georgia, and Dallas, Texas. Stay tuned. It's all coming up on the Russ Belleville Show. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement. He went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, December 7th, 2015. Uruguayans will be able to choose from three varieties of state-sanctioned cannabis when marijuana starts being sold in pharmacies in the small South American country next year, the National Drug Board said Saturday. The government declined to specify the names of the three varieties. Uruguay became the first country to legalize the cultivation and distribution of marijuana in late 2013. Authorities have developed traceable, genetically distinct plants to ensure they do not leave Uruguay's borders or end up on the black market. 
Marijuana will be sold in Uruguay at about $1 per gram, with locals allowed to buy up to 40 grams per month. Uruguay has granted marijuana growing licenses to two companies and so far registered 3,200 people who can grow up to six plants for personal use. Chilean President Michelle Bachelet signed a measure for removing marijuana from a list of dangerous drugs. The move comes after years of legal limbo for Chilean cancer patients and other victims of illness and injury who couldn't legally purchase the plant or its THC-laden products, which are prescribed by doctors to relieve pain. While pot consumption has been decriminalized in Chile for some time, users, including pain patients, have still faced negative repercussions. As recently as November, a mother was separated from her newborn child due to smoking pot, according to the BBC. Bachelet's executive action might ensure that some of the red tape is removed from the green medication as the rule also allowed for medical marijuana to be sold in pharmacies. It also coincides with a legislative push to legalize marijuana for recreational use. Legislation to allow medicinal cannabis to be grown and manufactured in Victoria, Australia, will be introduced into the state parliament today, and children with epilepsy are expected to be given first access. The Andrews government said during the 2014 election campaign that it wanted to make cannabis legal and available to those with ill health in exceptional circumstances. The Queensland, Australia government announced earlier this year that a trial to treat children with epilepsy with medicinal cannabis would take place in that state in 2016. Health Minister Jill Hennessy said access to the drug would be rolled out gradually and eventually be made available to palliative care and those with HIV. Want to take a bite out of the American obesity epidemic? Legalize medical marijuana. That's the counterintuitive finding of a new study in the Journal of Health Economics. Researchers from San Diego State University and Cornell University found that at the state level, passing a medical marijuana law, quote, is associated with a 2% to 4% decline in the probability of obesity, end quote. Over the longer term, this effect could even be larger. Tally it all up, and according to the study's authors, quote, we estimate a back-of-the-envelope per-person reduction in medical marijuana law-induced obesity-related medical costs of 58 to $115 per year. According to Georgians for Freedom in Healthcare, a new statewide poll just released shows 84.5% approve of expanding the Georgia low-THC medical marijuana law to allow for in-state cultivation and production of cannabis under strict regulation and security. Currently, Georgia law allows permits to patients with certain illnesses to obtain medical cannabis, but it cannot be grown or produced in the state. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal recently expressed concerns with the idea and said he is yet to see evidence there is a proper way to legalize cultivation in the state. An expansion of the medical marijuana bill will be pushed by Representative Alan Peake and others during the next legislative session in January. Members of the Georgia Commission on Medical Cannabis will put together a report on how to cultivate and produce medical marijuana in Georgia and then present it to Governor Deal for consideration. Dallas, Texas city officials will discuss whether police should haul the person off to jail or just write a ticket for marijuana, so-called sight and release, at tomorrow's Public Safety Committee meeting. They'll consider a pilot program that would try out the law enforcement approach in Dallas. If adopted, it could result in hundreds of fewer arrests. Dallas police arrest between 100 and 120 people for possessing small amounts of marijuana every month, according to the committee briefing. A Texas law passed by the legislature in 2007 made sight and release possible for certain Class A and B misdemeanors. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, December 7, 2015. I'm Russ Belville.
Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Canon Business 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPA's Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. want to talk about a fantastic uh, episode of 60 Minutes that appeared last night. And if you can get onto CBS online or on demand, you should check this out. Because Leslie Stahl, in the first two segments of 60 Minutes, did a extensive investigation into the use of criminal informants, particularly college kids, that are recruited before they're arrested, before their rights are read to them, without any lawyer, without any parents present. These college kids that get caught dealing a few grams of marijuana then get sucked in to the criminal investigation, uh, the criminal informant uh, system, where they are then made to wear a wire and go undercover, set up their fellow college students for uh drug buys to get them busted. And after getting a certain number of drug buys, they then get out of their particular charges. Uh, They spoke to two North Dakota college students. Uh, One of them was uh, a young man who was pressured to wear a wire and make six drug buys. And uh, rather than uh, face the maximum prison sentence of 40 years in prison, that student's name was Andrew Sadek. And he was able to do three of the buys and then uh, was found dead with a gunshot wound to the head uh, in a river near the uh, college campus. Uh, It's not known how he got the gunshot wound. It's theorized that one of the students may have found out he was a snitch and uh, execute him. But nobody knows at this point. Another student who was profiled at North Dakota State University was Matt Sander. He refused the deal and walked out of the police department, which is exactly what you should do, because one of the tricks they play here and and 60 Minutes made a good point of uh, of pointing this out is that when a cop arrests you, when you're detained or you're arrested and a cop is arresting you questions that are material to the investigation, they have to inform you that you have a right to an attorney and you have the right to remain silent, the so-called Miranda warnings. But if they haven't arrested you, And they're not asking you any questions having to do with your crime. They don't have to inform you that you need a lawyer or you can remain silent. So they catch these kids with personal amounts of marijuana or other drugs. They bring them into a scary police interrogation room. And they say, look, we're going to have to charge you with all these drug crimes. But if you want to help yourself, if you want to help yourself, 
then what you can do is agree to sign this piece of paper here that makes you a criminal informant, and you agree to go do this many drug busts, and then we agree to not charge you. That has nothing to do with the crime, has nothing to do uh, with being arrested. He's not arrested at that point, so the cops can make that offer and pressure these kids, pressure these young people into accepting the offer before they've talked to a lawyer, before they've talked to their parents. And in the offer, there are confidentiality stipulations. They can't talk to a lawyer or their parents or anyone else. So, yes, Andrew uh, Sadak uh, was found killed uh, after being involved in one of these. Matt Sander refused the deal, walked out of the police department, got a lawyer, and was eventually sentenced to two years probation and $800 in court fees. And that's what would happen to most of these kids that are busted. First time, nonviolent offenders, small personal amounts. They're going to get probation. They're going to get court fees. They're going to get some sort of community service, perhaps. But that's not what the cops tell them in that scary interrogation room. They tell them, oh, you're facing felony sales and you're going to get you know, 20 years. You're going to get 40 years. They focused also on the case of uh, Rachel Hoffman. Rachel Hoffman was the first case uh, of this type I had covered, and it was barely a month into my activism when the story of this 23-year-old college student who'd been busted with, she had five ounces of weed, and she had been selling weed to her friends, as many people do. Most of the purchases of marijuana are between friends. But because she got caught a second time, the Tallahassee Police Department decided to set her up on a drug deal to go buy 1,500 tablets of ecstasy, cocaine, and a gun. They gave her $13,000, sent her to a park where they were supposed to be watching her. The drug dealers took her to another location. The cops lost track of her, and when the drug dealers found the wire in her purse, they shot her five times in the back of the head and dumped her body in a creek 50 miles away. So it's time to end the use of confidential informants, especially on our college campuses. People are dying. This is bullshit. It's like Cypress Hill concert in here. Well, that sound means it's 20 after the hour. It's 3.20 live here in Rolla J Studios. That means it's 4.20 back in my birth city of Nampa, Idaho where marijuana is still very illegal. In fact, in Idaho, it's illegal to merely be high in public. You don't even have to possess marijuana to get busted for it in Idaho. Happy 420, Idahoans. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. 
Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to ensure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at felony disenfranchisement. Uh, this is information that comes from the Sentencing Project. I'd encourage you to look them up online. But some of the basics. Felony disenfranchisement is when a state uh, takes away your right to vote based on the fact that you've committed a felony. We have almost 6 million Americans, 5.85 million Americans, who cannot vote in this country because they've been convicted of felony offenses. Now, people have different uh, opinions on this as far as whether or not felons should be able to vote. Uh, there are some folks who believe that if you've committed a felony, you know, the most serious type of crime that we have, then you should lose certain freedoms, including your right to vote. But there are two states in the United States that do not agree with that. In Maine and Vermont, you can vote from prison. You can be the most heinous, death row, murderer, sex offender, arsonist, rapist, doesn't matter. You can still vote. And there's a certain argument for that. There's a certain argument for that, considering that we found so many people that have been exonerated of their crimes that there may indeed be innocent people in prison. And so why should they lose their right to vote? But most people are along the uh, spectrum of believing that if you've committed a serious crime, you should lose certain rights and perhaps voting is one of them. But it differs based on state. In the states of Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and Utah, you only lose your right to vote while you're in prison. Once you're outside the prison walls, you get your right to vote back. And there are so many people who are in those states who don't believe they can sign an initiative petition or vote because they're convicted felons when in fact they can. In California, Colorado, Connecticut, and New York, you cannot vote while you're in prison or while you're on parole. But if you're on probation, you can vote. States that prohibit prison, parole, and probation voting include Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, New Jersey, New Mexico, North, uh, North Carolina, 
Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, Washington, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. So once, as long as you're on paper, as they call it, you can't vote. But once you're off papers, once you get, no longer have parole or probation, you can vote. And then there's the 12. 12 states that deny voting to felony convicts during prison, parole, probation, and post-sentence. After they've completed their entire society, they still don't have their right to vote. That includes Alabama, Arizona, Delaware, Florida, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, Tennessee, Virginia, and Wyoming. Now, there are some differences in this. Some of those states, it's a five-year waiting period, like Wyoming and Florida, uh, and you can then apply to the governor or clemency board to get your or a voting board to get your right back. They don't have to give it back to you. Uh, Virginia and Nebraska have two-year waiting periods. And for some of these, it requires a second or subsequent offense, or it depends on the type of offense. Nonviolent offenses don't count. But generally speaking, because of these laws, 5.85 million Americans cannot vote. 45% of them live in those 12 states that I just mentioned. And... 75% of the people who cannot vote currently live in their communities, either on probation, parole, or have completed their sentence. There are 2.6 million Americans in those states, those 12 states I mentioned, where they cannot vote even after they've completed all of their sentence. This, of course, just disproportionately affects communities of color. Black Americans of voting age are more than four times more likely to lose their voting rights. One of every 13 black adults is disenfranchised. One in every 13. And in three states, Florida, Kentucky, and Virginia, more than one in five black adults is disenfranchised. In total, 2.2 million black citizens are banned from voting. 23% in Florida, 22% in Kentucky, 20% in Virginia. Now, we know that black Americans tend to overwhelmingly, about 90%, vote Democratic. So how much different would the state legislatures, the congressional representation, the governorship, and the federal representation be from those states if those millions of black people were able to vote and likely to be voting Democratically? This is not just an opinion that I've come up with. There have been studies on this, and one study found that disenfranchisement policies may have affected the results, likely affected the results of seven U.S. Senate races from 1970 to 1998, as well as the 2000 Bush v. Gore presidential election. If disenfranchised voters in Florida alone had been permitted to vote, Bush's narrow victory, quote, would almost certainly have been reversed, end quote. And since you can get a felony for 21 grams a pot in Florida, we know that had a huge effect on how many Floridians were able to vote for Gore or vote for Bush. And since 23% of the Floridians disenfranchised are black, and we know they would have overwhelmingly voted for Al Gore, it is not a stretch to say that marijuana prohibition gave us President George W. Bush. You can get this as a document up 
on thesentencingproject.org. Please check them out. Great website. When we come back, we'll have Dr. Mitch on the line. Get your questions ready at 971-533-7111. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. All right. Welcome back, everyone. 31 after the hour. We got Dr. Mitch on the line from SUNY Albany. How are you doing, Dr. Mitch? Unfortunately, I'm at the doctor with my daughter, Russ. It's been one of those crazy nights, but I'll catch you guys next week if that'll work out. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. I didn't uh, realize. And yeah, we'll we'll pull something up from the archives and and best of luck and wishes to you. All right. I I emailed, but it was last minute, so sorry, man. No problem. Good luck for everything. Talk to you later. Yeah, and everyone, make sure you check out Dr. Mitch's uh, podcast, Burning Issues. It's available here on CannabisRadio.com. Uh, we're going to take a break so they can uh, pull something else up for us to listen to since Dr. Mitch has a family emergency. And uh, my thanks, of course, to Dr. Mitch for being so uh, willing to be able to even answer the cell phone during that kind of a, a problem. Hope everything is okay. Also, uh, stay tuned because in hour two, Toker Talk Radio will take your calls at 971-533-7111. We got a few things to talk about. One, Marijuana Anonymous in the legal marijuana states. How are they dealing with newly legal marijuana? We've got a story from the military, a Congressional Medal of Honor winner who fought the enemy while high and admits it. And we'll take a look at Asian Americans in the cannabis industry. I'm Radical Russ. We're right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Hey everybody, Radical Russ on the beach here in Negril. And uh, I had this young man say he liked my tattoo of the United States. And uh, he's from Austin, Texas. Tell folks as much as you want to tell them about yourself. Name or... Well, hey, my name's Brooks. I'm from Austin, Texas. And uh, hopefully then I'll be able to get some weed there soon. Yeah, we'll work know? on that. And, and, Is this your first time in Jamaica? It's my second time. I went to Ocho Rios before when really? I was like 10. 10 years old? Yeah. And, and what, you're like 14 now? a lot now? more laid back here, man. <laughs> People hassle you there. How old are you? 19. <laughs> I was going to say 14 now? I'm so old, though. Everybody looks young. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, second time in a decade. So you're 10 years old. You came out here. You're 19 coming out here for the Cannabis Cup. Uh, you're in Austin, Texas, which is, if you're going to be in Austin, or if you're going to be in Texas and be a toker, Austin's the place to be. Well, I tell you, last time I came here uh, getting 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 weed, yeah. they were like, hey, man, you need weed. Like, it was real sketchy, and, like, like it would be in, you know, the U.S. if sure. you don't know somebody. But now it's like, hey, man, you it's want some by, ganja? <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been uh, plenty of ganja, but as you were saying, it's kind of sticky and hard to roll because it's all so fresh. Yeah, they don't really cure it right, and they yeah. got a little uh, they got a lot of sticks and seeds. Yeah, people in the U.S. might not think it's good, but it's pretty good. It's pretty, good. It's pretty damn good. It's very natural. And what I like yeah. about it, is, it ain't you know, no Mexican Reggie or nothing. No, 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 no. It's and it's tasty. It's very tasty. Uh, nice on that. We're uh, hoping we can get Texas legalized pretty soon. Uh, do you uh, do you go to school in, in Austin? Uh, I'm a security guard. I'm working up right so on. that I can get some money so that I can go to school. Yeah. yeah. So is it like, uh, would you like to be a part of the Green Rush in the states that are already legal, like move to Colorado or something like that? Or are you going to stick to Texas and make it legal there? Uh, you know, I, I like the other states, but I'm not going to go moving. Right on. I'm waiting for Texas and the rest of the general south area to get some weed yeah i mean they already have weed it's just not okay so your friends jealous you come out here to jamaica uh yeah man but they all went to the one in denver right right you didn't go to that one no i didn't oh yeah i was there too it was uh there doesn't seem to be a lot here though it's pretty it's pretty nice out here gotta yeah. say one thing about yeah. uh when it was in uh denver is it's just so packed so crowded here it's just outdoors and open and kind of laid back are they gonna actually bring some weed though do you know about that? I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I heard that, that they got delayed or something. Oh, well, it must be on the way. I'm sure weed will show up. It's a, it's a high times cannabis cup. I hope so. I want to get something other than spliffs. No doubt. <laughs> Anything else you want to say to the folks out there? Say hi to your, uh, your f- pals in Austin? Uh, well, man, just say hi to my mom, but... Hi, Mom. It's all good. All right. Uh, I don't really have much else to say, man. Just have a good time with yourself. <laughs> right on, man. I will. Thank you. Right now, marijuana is listed by the federal government as a Schedule I drug, meaning that it is considered to be as dangerous as heroin. That is absurd. In my view, the time is long overdue 
for us to remove the federal prohibition on marijuana. In my view, states should have the right to regulate marijuana the same way that state and local laws now govern the sale of alcohol and tobacco. And among other things, that means that recognized businesses in states that have legalized marijuana should be fully able to use the banking system without fear of federal prosecution. In addition, in those states that decide to go forward, and I'm not here advocating that states do it, that is the decision of the individual states within our federal system. But those states that choose to go forward can then tax alcohol like they tax, can tax marijuana like they tax alcohol and cigarettes and in fact earn a substantial amount of money. Colorado is making right now about $50 million a year through the taxation of marijuana. And in Colorado, and I believe other states, some of that revenue is being used to fight the effects of substance abuse, of hard drugs like opiates that are harming so many communities. In the year 2015, it is time for the federal government to allow states to go forward as they best choose. It is. It is time to tax and regulate marijuana like alcohol. It is time to end the arrests of so many people and the destruction of so many lives for possessing marijuana. Radical Russ here at the uh, Northwest Cannabis Classic here in Portland, Oregon. We've made our way to Mimi's Medibles of Estacada, Oregon. Hi, Mimi's Medibles. How are you? We are doing wonderful. Tell folks about your product line here. I see you've got what looks like to be iced tea. All right. I'll give you the spiel from the beginning. We start with our organic raw sugar cane and green only. No CO2, no BHO, no oils, no additives. It's just sugar and green. We end up with a raw organic infused sugar cane and our tasty nugs. Everybody is shocked we get the, oh my God, what is that face every time we show this to people. You eat this. This is not for smoking. It's an edible that you eat. And it's super sweet, easy on the stomach, and really nice. So then on top of that, we have our candy, glass candy fruits. It's an old school glass candy, so just an infused sugar-coated fruit that's really tasty. Another edible. And we have a tallow salve. 
So the tallow is infused with cannabis, comfrey and plantain, and then some variety of oils to help your body absorb the medicinal qualities. So. All right. So do you use this uh, to infuse this, the, the iced tea? Sugar. The sugar you can use, like anything you would use sugar for. Coffee, tea, baking, making honey mead, making anything you can imagine possible with sugar. Your imagination is the limit, and we want to help people to make their own stuff. You don't have to rely on everybody else to make you a chocolate you might not like. Come get our sugar, and you can make whatever you want. I like it. Mimi's Medibles, Estacada, Oregon. Give people uh, some contact information if they want to find you online. So we are not doing a website currently. We're still waiting for OLCC to get everything figured out. We have an email, info, Mimi Sugar, I-N-F-O-M-I-M-I-S-U-G-A-R at gmail.com. All right. We'll look forward to that website when you get it out there. And... uh, Love that you're making this uh, medicated sugar for people to be able to make their own edibles out of. That's pretty cool. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Hey, everybody. Radical Russ here at the Northwest Cannabis Classic here in Portland, Oregon, finally. And we've come upon the booth for Empower. Tell folks who you are and what Empower is all about. Um, Empower Body Care. We are a topical, a cannabis-infused topical company. We have um, CBD and THCA and CBD uh, products, roll-on, uh, pain reliever. We also have Empower for Play, which is a sensual oil. That one's a lot of fun. My first fun product. And, uh, right, and uh, therapeutic soaking salts for all that ails you. All right. Now, Tristan, you've been doing this for a long time, and how does it feel moving from the activism side of things to the business side of things. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, now I get to be an activist with my dollars. <laughs> so if people want to get a hold of some of this Empower stuff, where do they go online? Well, they can go to uh, my website, www.empowerbodycare.com. Far out, Trista Oakle. Thank you so much for uh, being here, and uh, we'll get some photos. Thanks, Russ. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Welcome back, everybody. Today in The Rant, we are going to take a look at marijuana legalization that is approaching in 2016 and compare it to the marijuana legalization that currently exists in 2015. 
And uh, we'll take a look at this with respect to the point of view of a cannabis consumer. There's a lot of differences once we start getting to the licensing and the commercial cultivation and sales. A lot of details there, and we'll save that for another time. Today, we're just going to take a look at this from the perspective of someone who just wants to smoke pot, maybe grow a little pot of their own, maybe have a place to go buy some pot. So in our comparison, we'll start with the two states that passed in 2012, Colorado's Amendment 64 and Washington State's Initiative 502. And then, of course, we've got the three jurisdictions that passed in 2014, Oregon's Measure 91 and its House Bill 3400 amendments, Alaska's Issue 2, also known as the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana-Like Alcohol, or CRIMLA, and Washington, D.C.'s Initiative 71. And we'll compare these to eight other initiatives that are pending in five other states for 2016. We'll start with Nevada's CRIMLA, Campaign to Regulate Marijuana-Like Alcohol, and understand CRIMLA is the branding uh, that that shows you that marijuana policy project is behind that initiative. So Nevada's CRIMLA is already on the ballot. Massachusetts CRIMLA has turned in enough uh, signatures to make the ballot, but it hasn't made the ballot yet. There's a two-step process in Massachusetts where they first have to put it forth to the legislature. And then if the legislature doesn't approve it, then they got to get another 10,000 or so signatures and then it makes the ballot. But the other campaign, base State Repeal, has already uh, conceded they don't have enough signatures to make the ballot. So there's just one possibility in Massachusetts, the CRIMLA. In Maine, there's also just one possibility. It's legalized Maine, and that's because Maine's CRIMLA folded its campaign and decided to get behind legalized Maine. So there's one opportunity in the state of Maine. Now, in the state of Arizona, there are still technically two possibilities, the Arizonans for Mindful Regulation and Arizona's CRIMLA. But again, Arizona's CRIMLA has talked about uh, turning in enough signatures, and we haven't heard anything from Arizonans for Mindful Regulation on their signature counts. So for this comparison, we're going to stick to just Arizona's CRIMLA. And then in the state of California... We got four different possibilities, and there are more than that that have been filed, but for the purposes of time and which measures are best known, I'm going to limit it to just four. That's going to include the California Adult Use of Marijuana Act, so-called Sean Parker Initiative, California CCPR, which is the Coalition for Cannabis Policy Reform, whose act is called the Control, Regulation, and Taxation Act of Marijuana, and the campaign group is called Reform California. That's the Dale Sky Jones-led group that makes up uh, a lot of the activism base in California. Then we'll also take a look at California's MCLR, the Marijuana Control Legalization and Regulation Act. And finally, California's CCHI, the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, also known as the so-called Jack Herrer Initiative. This gives us 13 different legalization plans to look at, and I'll give you an idea from a consumer's point of view what's been, what's been going right and what's been going wrong in these legalization plans. We'll start with the legalization of personal possession of flour. How much marijuana can I have in public? And across the board, with a few exceptions, it's an ounce. In all the currently legal states, one ounce. In Nevada, Massachusetts, Arizona, and two of the California initiatives, one ounce. 
The only difference is Washington, D.C. allows possession of two ounces. Legalized Maine will allow 2.5 ounces. California's Jack Herrer initiative will allow 12 pounds. And the MCLR doesn't have a specific limit, but a limit will be set by the commission. Then we get into the question of edibles and liquids, infused edibles, infused liquids. And here's a case where most of the states are doing this wrong. Washington and Oregon have gotten it right. Washington allows for 60 or Washington and Oregon allow for 16 ounces of edibles and 72 ounces of infused liquids. California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, Jack Herrer Initiative, allows for 12 pounds of these things. But in every other state, they didn't make specific allowances for edibles or liquids except to allow the current marijuana amount in those edibles or liquids. For example, in Colorado, you can have edibles or liquids, but there can only be one ounce of marijuana in them. In Washington, D.C., there can be two ounces of marijuana in them. In Maine, there can be two and a half ounces of marijuana in them. And that, of course, begs the question, how is a cop supposed to know how much marijuana is in a plate of brownies or a bag of cookies or a sack of gummy bears? You wouldn't know how much THC was in it until you took it to a lab. But even measuring how much THC is in it doesn't tell you how much marijuana went into it. So I think that part of those laws is going to be very hard to enforce. What about concentrates, hash oil, hashish, extracts? Well, in Washington, D.C., they are still specifically illegal. In Washington State, you're allowed seven grams. In Colorado and Alaska, you're allowed an ounce. And in Oregon, our initiative that allowed an ounce of extracts was modified so that that only applies to extracts made with volatile hydrocarbons or CO2 under high heat and pressure. That is the anes, butane, hexane, propane. If you're making hash oils with those, there can be an ounce. And and, and you're not making them. I should be very clear about that. They have to be store-bought. It is illegal to process them on your own. But if it's hash like finger hash or ice water hash or bubble hash or rosin press, anything not made with explosive hydrocarbons, you can have a pound of that in the state of Oregon. As for the states coming up, Nevada will allow seven grams of concentrate, Massachusetts, five grams, Maine, two and a half ounces, Arizona, five grams, Sean Parker initiative, four grams, CCPR, one ounce, And, uh, of course, Jack Herrer Initiative will allow 12 pounds of concentrate. Another consideration is the possibility of getting a marijuana possession felony. Is it possible? None of the California initiatives will allow for a marijuana possession felony because California itself does not allow for a marijuana possession felony even now. You have to have intent to sell or deliver. Massachusetts Crimla will not contain a marijuana possession felony, and in Oregon and Washington, D.C., there is no marijuana possession felony. But in the following states, you can still get a felony for mere possession. In Colorado, more than 12 ounces. In Washington State, more than 40 grams. In Alaska, more than four ounces. In Nevada, more than an ounce if it's your fourth offense. 
in Maine, more than a pound, and in Arizona, more than two and a half ounces. Those amounts will still get you a possession felony, even after legalization. How about home grow? Well, of course, the worst state as far as home grow is concerned is Washington state because it does not allow for any home grow of marijuana. Most states top out at six plants, uh, Colorado, three mature, three immature, Oregon, four plants, Alaska, three mature, three immature, but they're also allowed 25 plants under their privacy rights. Washington, Washington, D.C., three mature, three immature with a household limit of 12. Uh, Nevada, Nevada's initiative is tricky because it says you have the right to cultivate six plants and a household limit of 12. But that's only if you live more than 25 miles from a pot shop. They have a halo in the Nevada Kremla. Massachusetts, six plants with a limit of 12 per household. Maine, six mature plants, 12 immature plants, and unlimited seedlings. Uh, Arizona, six plants, household limit of 12. California, Sean Parker, six plants. California, CCPR, 100 square foot canopy. California, MCLR, a personal use amount. And the Jack Harrow Initiative would allow 99 flowering plants and unlimited immature plants. Then how much marijuana, if you're going to be har- uh, harvesting marijuana from your plants, how much can you possess at home? Well, under the best of these laws, they allow you to, pr- to uh, possess the results of your harvests. So however many plants you're growing... Whatever you harvest, you're allowed to possess. That would include all of the California uh, amendments except Jack Herrer, but Jack Herrer allows 12 pounds. Nevada, Massachusetts, Maine, and Arizona all allow results of the harvest. Alaska and Colorado currently allow results of the harvest. But Washington State, of course, doesn't allow for any home grow. So technically, you can still possess your ounce at home. Oregon limits your home grow to eight ounces possession and Washington DC allows you two ounces of possession. Next, the consideration of personal use clubs. Can there be a place where marijuana consumers can gather to consume marijuana together in Colorado, Oregon and Washington DC? That is not allowed. Although places have been trying to get away with it by doing volunteer clubs. Washington state has gone as far as felonizing these types of clubs, while Alaska has just approved these types of clubs. As far as the other eight initiatives in the other five states, all of them have some measure of allowance for personal use clubs. Nevada, the legislature can permit them. Massachusetts, they may allow licensing. In Maine, retail social clubs are expressly allowed. In Arizona, the legislature could start approving personal use clubs in 2020. California, Sean Parker and Reform California both allow localities to license on-site consumption. California MCLR allows on-site consumption with commission licensing. And Jack Herrer Initiative allows clubs to the same extent that beer and wine clubs are allowed. Next consideration for marijuana consumers would be marijuana DUIDs. None of the new states that are trying to pass marijuana legalization have a per se DUID in their law. 
There already exists a per se DUID in Nevada, but it's not being changed in any way by the new law. And of course, Colorado has a five nanogram presumptive DUID. Washington has a five nanogram per se DUID. Another consideration is the protection of our rights as cannabis consumers. And currently in the legal states and D.C., there is no protection for our right to work, our right to our house, to to housing, our right to child custody, or our right to organ transplants. In other states, they are starting to protect these rights. Employment protections exist in Massachusetts, Maine, and California MCLR and Jack Herrer. Housing protection exists in Arizona and California Jack Herrer. Child custody is protected from Massachusetts, Maine, Arizona, and all of the California initiatives except Sean Parker. And transplant protection is protected in Massachusetts, Arizona, and the Jack Herrer initiative. And finally, can localities ban marijuana commerce? Could they ban pot shops? In Colorado, they can be banned by ordinance or popular vote. In Washington, they're banned. In Oregon, they're banned by popular vote, except the counties that voted more than 55% against Measure 91 can ban by ordinance. Alaska requires a popular vote. Washington, D.C., it doesn't uh, matter because they don't have marijuana commerce. Nevada prevents local bans. They allow local zoning, but not local bans. Massachusetts can ban by popular vote. Maine, by ordinance or by popular vote. Arizona, by popular vote. California Sean Parker by ordinance until 2019 and then by popular vote. California Reform CA, CCPR, by ordinance. No vote of the people required. California MCLR, by popular vote if your town is 10,000 or more. If it's smaller than that, then by ordinance. And Jack Herrer Initiative will not allow bans that are any more onerous than the bans on beer and wine. We'll be publishing this as a table up on HighTimes.com and other outlets, so check that out. My comparison of the upcoming 2016 legalization initiatives. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Roller J Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. The Proud, the Marines. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tell. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon, at Roller J Studios. Freedom! Freedom! 
Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the enema man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's hour two, Topo Talk Radio. Phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. Although we won't have much time to take live calls for this hour because I've got my presentation at the Northwest Cannabis Classic yesterday. That's right. The third in the Northwest Cannabis Classic trilogy took place last night at Pure Space in the Pearl District in uh, Portland, Oregon. A great venue. Got to say, great venue. Um, midsize. It wasn't a huge event. There was, I don't know, uh, 18, 20 uh, vendors on the floor and a big uh, uh, projector area with an audience area and all that kind of stuff that I did my presentation for. But not a... Uh, not a big, huge, like a cannabis cup or anything like that. I mean, it was, it was a nice, nice sized event. And what was surprising to me about the event was upstairs, they had a, like an upstairs balcony kind of area uh, that featured tasting, that featured sampling. And uh, it's just, uh, well, I I guess they asked their lawyer. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, but it was it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, great presentations uh, were had. Jeff Lowenfels was there. Tom Alexander was there as well. And some of the best uh, cannabis concentrates, best cannabis edibles, and best cannabis flowers were judged there. The results are available at nwcannabisclassic.com. I didn't stick around for the results show, but did get a chance to interview a couple of different vendors and do my presentation, which is entitled, It's Not About Marijuana, It's About Freedom. And it comprises some of the stuff I've talked about with respect to our civil liberties in the past, but also some uh, specific information for the state of Oregon. And we're going to play that presentation here uh, at the bottom of this hour, right before we go off to Stoner Jesus. And remember, Stoner Jesus comes on right here on CannabisRadio.com at the top of the hour. Before we get to that, though, I, I do want to bring up a couple of quick stories uh, that I didn't have time to shoehorn into the first hour. And one of them is this story from NBC News called A Budding Industry, Asian Americans for Cannabis Education. And it starts by saying, when Tiffany Wu first entered the cannabis industry in March, she noticed that Asian Americans involved in the industry were few and far between. A trend the 28-year-old says was made even more apparent after she attended the Marijuana Business Conference and Expo, one of the nation's largest cannabis trade shows, attracting thousands of advocates and industry industry professionals in Las Vegas in November. Quote, I personally saw maybe less than 15 Asian Americans during my three days there, end quote, said Wu, a San Francisco Bay Area business attorney specializing in the cannabis industry. Now, I'm, I'm a big proponent of diversity. 
I'm a big proponent of making sure that we're, you know, opening up opportunities equally to people. But I also think there's this knee-jerk reaction sometimes to look at something that's overwhelmingly white and go, oh my God, there's a racist problem here. There's, there's racism going on. Something's overwhelmingly white. Without considering the context, right? Like, if you went to the National Convention for Accordion Players, I'll bet you it's going to be overwhelmingly white, right? Is that mean that accordion players and people that like accordion music are racists? Does that mean that we're not opening opportunities for people to of, of color to become accordionists? Or is there, I mean, and, and there, there could be some argument to that. You know, accordion costs money. Maybe you're in the, in the hood. You can't afford an accordion. Maybe, right? But couldn't the overwhelming argument be that accordion is just something white people do more likely? Similarly, if it were a convention of the national retailers of Chinese restaurants, would I be shocked if it were overwhelmingly Asian? Not that there couldn't be white folks or Mexicans or black folks running Chinese restaurants. Why not? But should we be shocked that it's overwhelmingly Asian? I mean, the NBA is overwhelmingly African-American. Does that mean white kids aren't getting a chance to play basketball? I mean, there's all these situations where you look at it and and no, you wouldn't stop to say, well, it's racist because it's overwhelmingly this or that. So when we look at the cannabis industry, This knee-jerk reaction to say, well, you know, there's not enough blacks, there's not enough Asian Americans, whatever, forgets the context that Asian Americans don't use pot that much. When you look at the demographics in the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, it's about more than half of Native Americans and Pacific Islanders have tried pot. It's about 45% of white folks and about 45% of black folks have tried pot. It's about a quarter to a third of Hispanics have tried pot. And it's less than 20%. It's like, last I looked, it was like 17% or 16% of Asian Americans had tried pot. So why should we be surprised that there aren't that many Asian Americans involved in the emerging cannabis industry? Why should we be surprised? Now, the fact that there aren't a lot of black people in the cannabis industry Yeah, that's a little problematic. Blacks and whites use pot at the same rate. Why should there be much difference in the industry? But if Asian folks aren't using pot that much, we shouldn't be that shocked that we don't see a lot of Asian folks in the pot industry any more than we are not shocked to see there aren't that many Asian accordionists. All right, we're going to go off to the study here so that I have a few minutes at the end of the hour for stoner jesus to be able to get on the line this is recorded yesterday at pure space uh it is my presentation on marijuana and civil liberties to the northwest i've been covering marijuana reform marijuana legalization for 10 years now and one of the things that i've discovered is that our fight really isn't so much about marijuana itself as it's an extension of our fight for freedom and liberty in a larger sense. Marijuana is kind of the messenger here, and we are the soldiers in this war on certain American citizens using 
using non pharmaceutical, non alcoholic, tobacco free drugs. Woo! Don't tell me we're uh, drug free America. Every time I turn on my TV, I see a drug commercial sort of the drug. So today's talk is about getting our minds away from thinking of this as the right to get high or freeing the plant and more about freeing the people, regardless of why they're using marijuana. Some people like to say all use is medical, and that's a fine sentiment. I like to say all use is nothing. It's not in business why I use it. Medical, recreational, because I like it, it's spiritual, it doesn't matter. And so when we start to think of marijuana as more a civil rights issue, more personal liberty issue, we can avoid getting ourselves pigeonholed and cornered into the, the opponents will say, oh, you're just trying to get high, you just want to write to get high. So in this talk, we're going to take a look at this and show how marijuana legalization and the prohibition of marijuana and cannabis have all worked against our most precious liberties as Americans. We don't talk a lot about our Constitution and our liberties in our schools anymore, so we'll take some time to take a look at our liberties and how prohibition is affected almost every one of them. We also want to take a look at the foundation of prohibition. Why are we prohibiting a cannabis plant? Where did that come from? Why did it continue? We'll wrap things up by taking a look at what's going on here in Oregon. How do we legalize? What is there left to do? Why, why are we still here? Why are we still fighting? So the first thing to understand is that prohibition is about controlling people. Marijuana is illegal in the center one of controlled substances. Okay, on the Controlled Substances Act. But it doesn't control the substance whatsoever. The DEA doesn't come in and point guns at marijuana plants. They point them at the people growing in their kids and their pets. There's nothing about the Controlled Substances Act controls the substances. If it did, none of us would be able to get a hold of weed. And there's plenty of that and plenty of other drugs as well. Another big portion of this fight uh, for legalization is to understand who the architects were. And on this side, the corner, you can see the picture of probably the most evil man that uh, has ever been a bureaucrat in our federal government. That's Harry J. Anderson. He was our, drug, our very first drug czar before they ever called him a drug czar. This is a guy who's so against cannabis, marijuana, and the people who used it, and other drugs, that he basically came from the Sarah holiday is, the old time Sarah holiday. He basically tracked the holiday down and hacked her to her death to the point where she was shackled to her deathbed on uh, various narcotics charges because he wanted so bad to play the blacks who are using the marijuana and the populars. So, first of all, marijuana prohibition is a very new phenomenon. Sometimes I don't even say we legalize marijuana. We're going to re-legalize marijuana. It had been legal for centuries in this country until the 1900s. We started in 1909 to get this first anti-pop laws that passed in the past of Texas to deal with the Mexican problem. Mexicans come across the border to take jobs. They're coming to take their jobs. And so the fight against that, they criminalized what they were using to relax, what they were using for medicine, what they were using in some cases as a sacrament. 
also understand that we had alcohol prohibition. And the alcohol prohibition was started by 
And there were five more Hispanic gun shots. Five more, so a total of 15 Hispanics who got busted for 25 grams of marijuana possession. And then there's 10 more of the black gun shots. And there were still more black gun shots, so let's just move it over here, fellas. 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, another 20, 130, 138 black merchants. So, it's not scientific. Some people got their own shots taken off the website, maybe because they can afford a lawyer. Some people did. But whether it's scientific or not, doesn't matter. Those people are going to try to get a job somewhere. And that mugshot's going to be online to hunt them every time they try to get a job. That's the racism of the war on marijuana. Alright, let's take a reader here because that kind of hits me. But the war on marijuana affects all our civil liberties as well. The war on marijuana is a war against people who want to exercise sovereignty over their own mind and body. It's the government telling you how you can feel, how you can think, and what you can do. And I think it's important as we move forward with this to bring this to the civil rights act. And sometimes they can push back on that because people say, well, I don't want to Hot smoking, that's not like the African American civil rights battle, or women's rights battle, or gay rights battle. No, it's not. There are differences. But liberty is different. And if we're going to believe people have the right to believe things, then we should feel them globally. For example, pregnancy, abortion, women's right to choose. Keeps, I can be told that it's my body, my choice. Well, how does that not apply to marijuana? Choice, my body is my choice. My brain, my choice. So if we're going to have personal sovereignty, shouldn't apply to marijuana. We also don't allow discrimination on ethnic background or national origin. What is it about an ethnic background or national origin that distinguishes someone? Whether you have a common creed or a common set of beliefs, or you come from the same place, or you have the same sort of traditions, have the same language or slang. Well, how does that not apply to the cannabis community? We have our own traditions, that's 420, we have a We have past the best show on the left hand side. We have all sorts of traditions. <laughs> so why does that not apply to us? And of course, religiously, we can't discriminate against people. And sometimes people say, with us, people are born black or gay. They're not born apostles. And I say, well, yeah, but nobody's born Catholic or Mormon. They choose to be Catholic or Mormon. They may have been born into that family, but once you become an adult, it's your choice to remain in that religion. So why do you discriminate against people like us who believe a certain way about cannabis? Some of us who actually see it as a religious sacrament. So let's take a look at this. Let's get deep into this. They think they're banning a harmful plant. I think they're persecuting harmless people. We are harmless people. And it's always funny to me when we have these uh, people trying to ban our rights to cannabis when we know more about the founding fathers. Have you ever seen the bar tab for the Constitutional Convention? 
It's huge. It's sixty thousand dollars. There, worth of wine, cider, and ale and whiskey. They got hammered. Our founding fathers were a whole bunch of heavy drinkers, and they lived in an agrarian economy. And some of them were hemp farmers. How could they not think that we had a right to this plant? I'm here to tell you that marijuana prohibition subverts our constitution, our natural rights, more than any other public policy since slavery. Here's how. Thank you. Let's take the Bill of Rights. You know, Bill of Rights, first amendment to the Constitution. We know most of these things. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. First amendment says you have the right of religion. Unless uh, you're Russell Parham. Sorry. Sorry, Russell, you can get your right religion. Your sacrament is too popular. That's really the Supreme Court's reasoning. Their reasoning that the Native Americans and these ayahuasca and all these other religions is that let them be who they are. And there's not a whole lot of people who use ayahuasca, so it's not going to harm us or the human family. But the candidates, they go, oh, the men, we let people use cannabis for religious purposes. Ha <laughs> ha! 
<laughs> that might get violated all the time. Namely, in a seizure of our urine, this test, a seizure of our blood, they can search a house. There was a case where the cops had a warrant and apartment complex were breaking on the second floor. They go to the second floor, the warrant is for that apartment on the right. They don't notice anybody in the apartment on the right, but they can smell the ear coming from the apartment on the left. And so they knocked out the door and they uh, went in and got the guys. They tried to defense right this apartment. They said, you know, warrant, but if not, he just knocked out the door. Supreme Court rules if you can smell me and hear, quote, virtue movements, you can break that door for fear you're going to destroy evidence. Now I understand the destroy evidence things for a half kilo of powdered cocaine to be flushed out the toilet, but marijuana plants, big bags of weed, they flush that, they got industrial garbage disposal, I mean, that's not even reasonable. The other part of the Fourth Amendment says there should be no warrants without probable cause. Probable, probable cause is the smell of weed is probable cause. Even if the dog says he smells weed, even if that dog is just reacting to the hand or getting a little dirt on the leash. So our Fourth Amendment rights have been abrogated. Fifth Amendment. Fifth Amendment is the double jeopardy amendment. You can't be tried twice for the same crime. You can't be under jeopardy of life away from the same crime. The problem is, they will charge you with a sales charge. They can't get that. They'll charge you with a conspiracy charge. So it's the same crime you committed, but they charge it two different ways. So it's kind of a double jeopardy going on there. You also have the right, you know, when they on those uh, law order shows, they say, I take the fifth. I plead the fifth. What they're saying is, I plead the right not to incriminate myself as the other part of the amendment. The only problem is, it can take your urine and your blood. How is that not you incriminating yourself? That should be against the Fifth Amendment rights as well. The other part of the Fifth Amendment says, we shall not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. Except, have you heard of this thing called asset forfeiture? Asset forfeiture, simple asset forfeiture, where your cops can take your stuff because they think your stuff committed a crime. There's literally cases in the court, like the United States of America versus dollars And simple asset forfeiture, your stuff is guilty until proven guilty. You have to go, and this is without you being arrested for a crime or anything. They can take your stuff. They do this all the time in the Midwest with people that really fight a roach in their ashtray and see their car and see all the cash they got on. And you're supposed to go in court to try to fight to prove your stuff is innocent. But how do you hire a lawyer when they've taken your stuff? Like, you got all the cash, how do I hire a lawyer? So most people don't. And the cops, when they use this asset forfeiture, they don't usually, it was originally written with the idea that it was my advice time or you have to go they don't laugh at those guys, because those guys can afford lawyers. They laugh at you and me, and they take just enough to make it worthwhile. But not so much that it's worth your time to fight. 
They used to take twelve hundred twenty four hundred dollars worth of stuff. So by the time you get hired a lawyer and you're all working, so it costs you five grand to get your twenty four hundred dollars back. And most people don't do it. This is a billion dollar facing operation, billions of dollars every year that is going on in America. Alright, we have the sixth amendment. You have the right to a speedy trial, a speedy public trial. Except right for Christie, he stayed in jail for three years before they scheduled the trial for this guy. Three years doesn't sound very speedy to me. You have the right to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation confronted with the witnesses against you. But now that you're confronted with dog, rough, 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 I don't speak dog, Your Honor. How do I confront this witness? You have a compulsory process for taking witnesses in your favor. You can subpoena people to testify for you, but they can't say medical marijuana in federal court. You can't say medical, you can't say marijuana. So what is it that people testify for you if they can't tell the truth? The right to sue. You have the right to sue people if they do you wrong. Unless you live in Oklahoma and want to sue your neighbor for showing your bad. You can't take the board as illegal. People all over the country cannot sue their dealer, their board, or anybody involved. Seventh Amendment also says that in any jury trial, it can't be retried once they've found you not guilty. But here's how they got around that in California. There was this prosecutor in California went after this dispensary, and they did it by setting a cop with a fake ID. But of course, the cop's fake ID is a real ID. You know what I'm saying? They get it from the DMV. So there's no way people over there could ever know it's a fake ID. Cop with fake ID goes to a California doctor, gets a medical marijuana recommendation. Doctor's not doing anything wrong. He has a bunch of fake ID. Cop with a fake ID and recommendation goes to dispensary. Buys a quarter or whatever. And once that purchase is made, that is what they build the case on. That this guy's doing federal drug trafficking. So, they put this case against the dispensary. How can they get that game? the trial, the jury acquitted The jury said, We're not going to convict this guy. He's a medical guy. He's done everything on the board. He was farming. We like what he's doing. So, what they did is after this guy was acquitted, they got a different cop to get a fake ID, to go to a different doctor, to get a recommendation, to go to the dispensary, to get the lead, to set up the buy, to set up the case. But the case got moved to a different jurisdiction where she was able to get the jury that would convict the cop. Now, how is that not trying someone for the same crime twice? Well, because it wasn't the same crime, it was a different cop and a different doctor. But come on, what was this woman written for? This man was written to say, if the jury says someone's not guilty of something, it's not a crime, you shouldn't bust it. Alright, eighth amendment. Excessive bail should not be required. Uh, my bail for marijuana residue was $1,200. And I have friends whose bails were like half a million dollars for marijuana rights. The federal bail is half a million dollars, a quarter million dollars for marijuana rights. So that's kind of excessive. Excessive fine should be imposed and a federal fine for one marijuana plant is a quarter million dollars. And then most people know the Eighth Amendment from no cruel and unusual punishment. Right? No cruel and unusual punishment. Except if you imprison a medical marijuana patient and then you deny them their medicine and they die in a jail cell. Richard Floor, Jonathan Maggie, my 
probably a hundred and people three grams. Two hundred people die losing this sense. That's cruel and unusual punishment. And now my favorite amendment. My favorite amendment is kind of sleeper to dark horse. Most people don't think about the ninth amendment. They'll think second amendment, guns, tenth amendment, you know, the state rights. But the ninth amendment, I think, is the best one. It says the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. I like to think of this as the we could write them all down amendment. When the founders are writing down what our rights were, they could have written out all this stuff. You have the right to take a walk. You have the right to enjoy the sunset. You have the right to miss your life. You have the right to be there. You have it. The ninth amendment was their way of saying, look, just because we wrote some stuff in the Constitution, that doesn't mean that's all your rights. I believe that what the ninth amendment says is that we have the right to farm Kansas. How could these guys who are hemp farmers not have thought it was a natural right to farm hemp? How could they have not thought that? I mean, it would be silly to them to write down, you have the right to farm crops. It's just so self-evident that they never would have thought right then. Because I think this amendment says we have that right, that natural right. And in the 10th Amendment, the 10th Amendment is the state's rights amendment, and everybody knows the state's rights amendment. In the Constitution, in nowhere in the Constitution do they delegate the power to regulate medicine to the federal government, and they do not prohibit the states from regulating medicine. So under a strict reading of the 10th Amendment, medical marijuana is a state's rights issue. So, that's your little rights. Now there's a few other amendments in effect, just real quickly. The 13th Amendment says that's the amendment where you emancipate the slaves, there shall be no slavery or involuntary servitude. But nowadays, we arrest people for salt lamps and marijuana, we put them into a jail in a prison where they work for the Corrections Corporation of America for 19 cents an hour, booking trips for uh, Greyhound. Making panties for Victoria's Secret. I mean, so many corporations are tied up with this prison labor thing that it's almost, well, it's, it's an involuntary servitude. The 14th Amendment is the Equal Protection Amendment. So if I go from state to state, I should be protected the same in every state. That doesn't apply to medical marijuana patients. They can't even go to all the same medical marijuana states. Only Arizona, Delaware, Maine, Michigan, Montana, and Nevada recognize any states. A medical marijuana patient with a card of Oregon, their card is from Good Washington, from California, and vice versa, and vice versa with the other two states. 15th Amendment. 15th Amendment was the amendment that said you can't deny people's right to vote because they were slaves or because they held over state or whatever. You can't deny the right to vote. However, this is how they get around back. In most states, when you're a felon and you're in prison, you cannot vote. There's two states where you can. Vermont and Maine, you can be on death row and they'll bring you a ballot. You can fill out your ballot. You never lose your right to vote. In a lot of those states, though, once you're out of prison, you get your right to vote back. But in some others, you don't get it back until you finish probation. And in some others, you get it until you finish parole. And in a few states, mostly in the southern states, you don't need your right to vote back. If you can do a felony, 
You need a loser for a period of five to seven years, something like that, where in some cases you never your right to go back. One of those states is Florida. Now in Florida, three quarters of an ounce, 21 grams, is a felony. Anybody caught with an ounce a week gets a felony, losing the right to vote for life. Now, who gets busted for? Black people. So what happened in Florida is because of federal disenfranchisement, because people in Florida who lose their right to vote very rarely and never get back, one out of five voting eligible African Americans in Florida cannot vote. One out of five cannot vote. Now, remember the 2000 election, Bush v. Gore, when George W. Bush won Florida by 537 votes? If all the people who've been busted for an ounce of weed hadn't lost their right to vote, since they are more likely to have been black people than the and black people 90% vote Democratic, there would have never been a President George W. Bush if marijuana wasn't a felony in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be nice to hear about? Uh, 16th Amendment are income taxes now. Well, they're using that to attack the dispensaries. They're using IRS 280 code to go after dispensaries. So that's another way they're infringing on our rights. 19th Amendment is the women's right to vote. 19th Amendment. From 1980 to 2010, the number of women in prison has increased more than sixfold. And again, when you're in prison in those states, you don't get to vote. So that affects the women's right to vote. And the 21st Amendment, that's the one that repealed the prohibition, right? The original alcohol prohibition. In the 21st Amendment, it actually recognizes the word intoxication. So in our Constitution, it recognizes we have the right to alter ourselves. How is it not equal protection to allow alcohol? but then ban marijuana. We can be proud of being a legalizer because this is a civil rights fight. It's hard to think of anything that affects 16 out of 27 of the amendments. Sometimes I'll, I'll debate these prohibitionists and I'll say, well, why don't you guys support prohibiting alcohol? They'll say, well, alcohol's different. There's a culture with alcohol. Alcohol's been in our history for years. And I say, well, what about our culture? We've had hemp in America since 1611. We've had medical marijuana since 1850. We've had hashish bars reported on in the New York Times since 1853. We've got popular musicians like Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, Elvis Gerald, Diane Washington, Billy Holiday, that sung openly about marijuana in music. So we've had a culture in this country for almost a hundred years for recreational, two hundred years for medical, and four hundred years for him. How much more culture do we need to get this legalized? And of course, this is one of the few issues that speaks to all sides of the political spectrum. To Democrats, this is a civil rights, racial justice, labor sort of issue. On the right, on the right, the Republicans, you can say states' rights, individualism, small government, liberalism, personal choice, environmentalism, war. Religious freedom and patriotism. There's a reason for everyone to support legalization. Alright, final part to wrap it up. Now we're going to go to Oregon. We got marijuana legalization in Oregon. So now we all have our rights and we can all go home. Just enjoy smoking again. Well, no. There's a whole lot we still have yet to address. Employment rights. 
testing to employers using urine testing or hair testing or saliva testing to get a job or keep a job. They're not doing that to alcohol makers. You get all messed up on alcohol, you're not going to lose your job, you should come to work alone. Custody disputes. Family and courts can still use your status as a consumer as a negative influence on your right to child custody, to adoption, to parenting, visitation. Our medical rights, we can still be denied organ transplants and other medical procedures. Just for now, they fix that for medical marijuana patients. Medical marijuana patients can't kick off organ transplants. But why should the adult use consumer be kicked off organ transplants for their marijuana use? Our defense rights, I already mentioned the Second Amendment, we can't have guns down because we're abusers of scheduling substances. Traffic rights, an ounce is legal in Oregon, an ounce is legal in Washington, but I can't drive with my ounce from Oregon to Washington. That's interesting, drug trafficking. You can't do that, that's illegal. It's also legal under Oregon law for exporting to another state. Freedom of speech. We still have those ad restrictions going on in Washington state where you can only have this little tiny sign. And probably the one that's on the news lately that we've all been affected by is our right to assembly. Now this is beautiful, right? We all can be here and enjoy each other's company and taste from our format. But there are at least three clubs in Portland that I know of that are so-called campus cafes or vapor lounges, if you will. And they've been all volunteer BYOB, bring your own buds. So they don't even serve marijuana there, you have to bring your own, right? And now, in the Pacific Northwest, we don't have any place to smoke other than our house. And to me, there is a, uh, you remember back, nobody was alive, right? so history. After the Civil War, we had to go the map, gave everybody the right to vote, whether you were a slave or whatever, you can now vote. So the way that the, the Southerners got around that was the Jim Crow laws, where they have a total tax or a literacy test or some way to, to make it so it was impossible for black people to exercise their right to vote. That's what I think these no public use things are for us. We have a right to use marijuana and possess it, but if you live in section housing, you can't sleep in your house. Some landlords can ban your use if you're renting. So unless you own that house, you don't have the right to smoke pot in here. We need to have paper lounges. We need to have campus cafes. And Washington is felonized these things. It's a felony to have a campus cafe or a club. Oregon has passed this as part of their Clean Air Act by adding vaporization and cannabinoids to the Clean Air language. But that's BS because the Clean Air language is all about secondhand tobacco smoke. And there are scientifically shown harms from secondhand tobacco smoke. You can't show that from secondhand cannabis vapor. But they just tapped it onto the law, and by January 1st, it's going to make all cannabis cafes vapor lines illegal. But if you run a cigar bar that holds less than 40 people and has adequate ventilation, y'all can smoke cigars in there all day long. If you're a smoke shop that has less than four chairs or seats for people, and want to allow people to sample tobacco in your smoke shop, that's okay too, so long as you have that ventilation. But God forbid you vaporize the cannabis. Well, that's wrong, people. We've got to work in that change.
Go back up with some maps here. We passed that in 91 with 56% of the vote. And it said if you were going to ban marijuana businesses, you didn't have a vote of the people. But the legislature said if your county voted more than 55% against Measure 95, you don't have to follow the statewide vote. You can just ban it. So, those counties you read up there are the counties that have banned all marijuana businesses, and there's no vote. It just is. Nobody gets to vote. The yellow counties banned marijuana businesses, but at least there's going to be a vote. In those counties, that makes up 52% of the land mass of Oregon. So, in more than half of Oregon, marijuana businesses are banned. Add to that, cities. 45 Oregon cities have passed bans on marijuana commerce. The ones in red, no vote. Those bans are just bans. The ones in black, no vote. If you add up all the people in the cities and counties, 23% of Oregon's residents live somewhere where marijuana commerce is banned. Put it another way. One out of four Oregonians lives in over half the state where marijuana business is banned. Now, we do have adult use pot shops where we get our cannabis and these dispensaries that are allowing sales. This is a map of every single dispensary that's selling to all adults. You might notice something about it. Kind of tilted heavy to one side, right? In fact, 92% of the dispensaries selling to adults are within 65 mile crow flies of I 5. That strip of I 5 from the coast to the Cascade Ranch, 92% of dispensaries are in that range. The only places east of the Cascades are dispensaries in the Dallas, one, Madras, three, and then uh, 12, 14, something. But 22 total. You know what this means? Look over to the right side. You see where Boy Scout is over there? And you get to the Oregon border. That's where Ontario Oregon is. You know where Ontario Oregon is? I, I'm from Boise originally, and Idaho's laws are really strict. So whenever we wanted to go buy a pot pipe, we had to drive to Ontario. Because there were no head shops in Boise. We had to drive to Ontario. So it's very dear to me. You know, kind of what we'll see when you're coming up. That was kind of a good memory. Well, Ontario was the pot pipe. If you live in Ontario Oregon, the closest pot shop to you is not in Oregon. The closest pot shop to you is up there in Clarkston, Washington. It's closer for an Ontario resident to drive to Clarkston for legal pot than to drive to Bend, the Dallas, or Madras. So we still have a lot of work to do, folks. It's not just about marijuana, it's about freedom. I'll have this PowerPoint. If anyone wants to copy it, I'll be glad to email it to you. Check out my show on canvasradio.com, 3 o'clock every weekday. Thank you very much.
mother first, we've got to respect it. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Welcome back, everyone. 13 and a half after the hour. And today in Behind the Headlines, the headline we're reading says Aaron Hernandez chain smoked marijuana, never failed NFL drug test. This is coming to us from Yahoo Sports. Of course, Aaron Hernandez is the former tight end for the New England Patriots who's on trial for murder. He's accused of killing a uh, semi-pro football player named Odin Lloyd in June of 2013. And as the trial has been progressing, some of the testimony has been quite amazing. Uh, on Wednesday, there was, uh, I mean, today there was a revelation that Hernandez chain smoked marijuana, sometimes up to an ounce a day. So the interesting part of this, of course, is that Aaron Hernandez never failed an NFL drug test. This goes back to a Boston Globe story from 2013. And it's not as if the NFL doesn't test for marijuana. Uh, they catch plenty of players who smoke marijuana. Just ask Josh Gordon, uh, one of the leading wide receivers in the league, who was given a one-year suspension for turning up positive for marijuana metabolites. There have been many other players who have been caught and suspended as well. Why wasn't Aaron Hernandez ever caught? One could speculate as he was playing for the New England Patriots, and there does seem to be kind of a shadow of shenanigans that uh, follows the Patriots wherever they go. Whether it's deflated footballs or spying on the other team, who knows what Bill Belichick's got up his sleeve when it comes to protecting his players from the dreaded whiz quiz. Don't know, just speculating at this point. But also consider all of the ways it is possible to beat a drug test. This is the thing that's most frustrating to me in this whole issue of drug testing for marijuana, whether it be in sports, in school, or at the workplace, and that's the fact that it doesn't work. Drug testing for marijuana clearly didn't catch Aaron Hernandez. Here's somebody we could have wished would have been booted out of the NFL for smoking pot, given what he uh, seems to be guilty of now. Whereas a guy like Josh Gordon uh, just seems to like to smoke a lot, but uh, doesn't seem to cause any problems off the field. Be nice if we were catching the right guys. But the point is, there's no point in trying to catch these guys in the first place because their use of marijuana off the field, away from the fans, away from the cameras on their own time should be as allowed, as respected as their use of alcohol off the field. 
And we know how much the NFL supports the use of alcohol through the advertising of the Budweiser and the Coors Light and all of the uh, drinks that you see on every game day, Sunday, Saturday, Thursday, Monday night, plenty of alcohol sponsorship. Now, when it comes to this drug testing, it's just never going to catch the people it's intended to catch. And part of this is because there are so many ways of beating a drug test. For example, I know a woman who beats a drug test and she works in an industry that's quite strict on drug testing. And she beats the drug test because she has a friend who doesn't smoke pot. And that friend will give her some clean urine, which she can then put into a condom, which she can then store in her vagina as she goes. 